Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I am here with a pretty interesting episode. I think it's pretty ambitious, but I'm trying to merge the belief in some kind of woo-woo law of attraction stuff that people may or may not love and some stuff that I've learned in psychology and stuff that we've been able to see in practice with working with clients and helping them work through their issues when we have progressively more comprehensive marketing solutions, which actually forces you to turn the, the microscope inwards on yourself. So what actually kind of jogged this was I was listening to a podcast with a law firm mentor, friend of the pod, Allison Williams. So Allison is very upfront about being into what she refers to as universal law, kind of law of attraction type stuff, but also happens to be fantastically successful. So for those of you who don't know her story, Allison ended up growing a seven-figure law firm in pretty short order and has helped many, many people do the same. So I would absolutely consider her a super successful law firm owner and coach. At the same time, I was kind of thinking about, well, this is, is interesting. We have people that think of, uh, you know, they'll make up the cross sign when they they hear anything that's kind of approaching law of attraction or what they'd categorize as woo-woo. Um, and then there's people that like it, but aren't really successful as well. So if I was thinking to visualize, if you have the belief in, let's just call it woo-woo stuff on the y-axis and you have success on the x-axis, it's kind of a U-shaped curve. So on the right side, you have high belief, high success, people like Allison Williams, and a lot of very successful business owners, a lot of startup venture people, you know, that kind of stuff, a lot of people that pay attention to mindset. And then you have a lot of people in the middle who are modestly successful, but you know, don't really have time for that stuff. And then you have people on the left who actually believe in that stuff is the kind of people that are buying scratch tickets and that kind of stuff. So anyways, I'm making this podcast for the people in the middle. If you hate woo-woo stuff, but you can at least accept the fact that some people benefit from it, I want to show you why in a way that has absolutely no discussion with woo and basically is based entirely on psychological principles. So I'm going to start off with something that's called information theory. So this is an objective fact of human neurology, we have are taking in at any point more data than our brain is able to process. And I was actually able to look this up just in terms of, of our eyes. We have 11 million bits of data coming in from our eyes, ears, mouth, uh, nose, etc. And the gateway, the throughput that our brain is able to interpret is actually 50 bits, right? So out of the 11 million bits of information available, there has to be a filter because otherwise we would be having seizures all the time. Our brains would be overwhelmed. It would not be possible. So there has to be a filter. Now that's kind of just a uh, like, you know, bits and bytes sort of interpretation, but let's go through an example of, of how this could happen, right? So we have tremendous amounts of stimulus and we decide what to focus on. So let's take an example of two people. We'll call them Mr. Happy and Mr. Sad walking down a street on the same day. So Mr. Happy, maybe you just got a promotion. Maybe, uh, you know, he just uh, he's getting married or something really happened or his, uh, no, his kid just won the state championship or something like that. He's having a good day. So he's walking down the street and he's paying attention to the birds singing, the sun shining, you know, kids playing, all that good stuff. Right now, Mr. Sad, something bad happened. Maybe his wife left him or maybe his stock portfolio is not doing super hot or something like that. And on the same day, that person's probably focusing on the garbage truck that's going by and the dog poop that somebody forgot to pick up and all that bad stuff. There's the same street. There's the same objective reality. Two different people are focusing on two different things. 
And this kind of goes back into a quote that's, that's used a lot in um, the realm of NLP and hypnosis, which is the prover proves what the thinker thinks, right? So because Mr. Sad is, is having a bad day, he's going to focus on the stimulus that are negative and bad. And because Mr. Happy is having a happy day, he's going to focus on the, the stimulus that's confirming that theory, right? Because of the filter, you will find what you end up looking for. And I'm going through a pretty simple and stupid example at this point, but um, I promise this is going to make sense for marketing in, uh, before long. So the contrast here is what a lot of people tend to believe, and I would say especially a lot of people in the middle, is, is um, this concept that's referred to in psychology as naive realism, right? So naive realism is the belief that what you see is what you get. There's that old analogy about the three umpires, right? And there's kind of a philosophical spin on this, but people say I call them as they see them. One umpire says I call them as I see them. Second umpire says I call them as they are. That would be the naive realism thing. And then the last and more philosophical one is um, there ain't, <laughs> ain't nothing. They don't exist until I call them. But that gets into uh, epistemology, which could be fun. But anyway, so naive realism is the belief that what you see is what you get. And if you actually look at the, you know, the, the field of psychology, basically every single study that you could look up is showing biases in decision making for one way or another. So whether people have biases towards um, something that's favoring themselves, whether, you know, they're saying that they would win a game of Monopoly when they have twice as much money as the other people. There's all these different things, but basically it shows that people aren't really logical about making this stuff. And one of my favorite ones here is that 73% of people consider themselves better than average drivers. And for the fellows, it actually includes eight out of 10 men, right? So when you're looking at that, that's obviously impossible from a mathematical perspective. And if you want to go out and get some empirical data for yourself, take a quick drive through your nearest city and you'll find that fewer than 73% of people are better than average, right? But the thing is that basically if that's how we feel about driving. Again, that's a self-serving bias. How do you think that we feel about avoiding bias, right? A lot of people think, oh, well, you know, obviously a lot of those biases, <laughs> you know, it's, it's crazy that that happens to everyone except for me, right? But the reality is that it does uh, have everyone too. And one of the, the kind of marks of people who've, who've taken the, the time to look into this is that they actually trust themselves that objective reality, they, they realize that all this stuff is also acting upon them. It takes a lot of humility to do that. But anyways, I also think it's no coincidence that the people who talk about this the most are generally a lot of like en investor types. So this is the kind of stuff you'll hear from Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, Ray Dalio, right? And these are the kind of people who are discussing biases and mental models and that kind of stuff. And it's not because they have weak mindsets. As a matter of fact, they have incredibly effective mindsets. And the reason why is that once you accept that your view of reality can be challenged, you're more likely to get to a point where what you can do is actually representing reality. To believe the opposite would be to kind of further get yourself into delusion or something like that, which is not going to serve you at the end of the day. Anyway, so let's go back to filter theory. So we had Mr. Happy and Mr. Sad walking down the street, but now let's talk about Mr. I'm going to grow my law firm versus Mr. It's a tough world out there. <laughs> so going back to it, the prover proves what the thinker thinks. If we get to think about Mr. I'm going to grow my law firm, they're going to have a more positive outlook and they're going to have confirmation that they can, in fact, grow their law firm. If they're doing research into marketing methods, they're going to find some that work for them. If they're making hires, they're going to see the best in people. If they're making a call on a prospect, they're going to expect that that prospect is willing to move forward. And chances are when they're going into that, they're going to be more likely to find the data that, that comes back, right? If they're on the sales call, they're going to pay attention to the buying signals. If they see somebody who is from, you know, a zip code that's out of their area, they're going to say, huh, that's a transplant. Now, to contrast with somebody who is saying it's a tough world out there, when they see a zip code that's from, or if they see, a, say, an area code that's outside of their thing, they're like, oh my God, this is crazy. This is, you know, our, our marketing isn't working. What the heck's going on here? 
they're looking for things to fail. They're listening to all the reasons why somebody's not going to buy on a call. They're going to be trying to save as much money because they're expecting things to fail, which is a topic that we've discussed previously. And basically, they're more likely to find that stuff too, because they're really looking for the negative materials out there. Now, the thing is, both of these are feedback loops, right? And the thing is that for the most part, you know, you'd expect somebody to have a better outcome when they have positive feedback, but in the situations where expectations are missed, right? You have a situation where Mr. Positive has a bad day, the strength of their, or you have a situation where Mr. It's a tough world out there has a good day, right? Mindset will eventually be an equalizer and, and have people deal with not only the gray areas that they're encountering in the objective reality, which is too comprehensive for them to process, but also what's going to happen when those expectations are violated, right? And, you know, the reason why people love underdog stories, you know, movies like Rudy is because it shows a situation where somebody has an unbreakable mindset. They're getting negative feedback after negative feedback after negative feedback, but because they believe in it so strongly, that mindset is actually able to take them to the point where they're, you know, walking on the field to play for Notre Dame or whatever, right? Anyway, in the same way, though, like this actually becomes a mechanism and, and we're talking about good versus bad here, but let's talk about stuff in the gray area, right? Ultimately, because the prover proves what the thinker thinks, you're going to end up seeing your philosophy become true in the world, whether that's positive, whether that's negative and whether it's gray or just kind of, you know, orthogonal, right? So let's take an example. How quickly did you make a decision on the last vendor or service that you hired? So there's some people that are listening to this podcast that, you know, maybe, you know, you got the presentation from the sales guy or whatever, you took at least one follow-up call. Maybe there's some people that took two or three follow-up calls, right? And I can guarantee that the people that took follow-up calls, maybe two or three follow-up calls are getting more responses of, I'll think about it from their clients. Why is that? Because their philosophy, their view of the world is that that's an okay way to make a buying decision. Now to contrast, I wouldn't say this is something that's that's super well known around lawyers, but if if you're in a second career, if you've ever been around, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> for lack of a better word, a boiler room, or you know, if you're in financial services or any of these roles where a lot of sales is required, you'll know that the best salespeople generally make decisions extremely quickly when they are purchasing something. So the people that are generally the best at sales are actually extremely easy to sell, believe it or not. <laughs> so anyway, this reflects a completely different philosophy, right? This reflects the belief that the information that you need to make a decision can be had in one presentation. And as a corollary, saying later often means never, which you know empirically is true if you have a big enough picture of this. So when they have a situation, when they're on the other side of the table with a prospect, when they, I mean, so first of all, they'll never say, I need to think about it because they know that they have the decision that they make. And then any sort of you know, thinking that's going on is not going to have any impact on the decision that they want to make. When they hear that from a prospect, when they're sitting on the other side of the table, chances are they have a routine for handling that some sort of an objection handle, some sort of a you know, way to get forward with that. The fact that they believe that it's the case is why they look for a routine in the first place. The person who believes that later is okay never thought to look for it because why would he? That's just how some people are, right? And basically you get the idea, right? So we have two people living in the same objective reality. It's they're walking down the same street. One person's closing a lot of his calls in the first one. The other one is getting a lot of laters that end up turning into a lot of nevers because that's just how it goes, right? I can't really say which one is the chicken and which one is the egg with the salesperson situation, but the truth is they're in that reality, right? Closing on one call is reasonable and that's what they're going to get. So very specific example, but this kind of brings to mind a quote that I heard from, this is on the Tim Ferriss podcast, uh, Jerry Colonna. He's an advisor to some of the you know, biggest companies in Silicon Valley. But one of the questions that he always asks himself and his clients is, how am I complicit 
in creating the conditions that I say that I don't want. And there's a lot of ways to look at it, but I think that's a really, really important filter when we're thinking about the filters that that are leading you to. I think it's something to keep in mind to kind of take this entire view and make it into reality, right? So the next question for that, do you ask anything of the people that are walking into your office that you don't ask of yourself? So if you're going in chiseling line items, if you're asking for five references before you end up making a decision, if you're shopping around with every single alternative for a service, chances are that's what you're going to get. On the flip side, there's positive things that you can believe and that you can do. If you believe that you're a reasonable adult and so are your clients, you're going to find that's the case. If you think that expertise is worth charging a premium for yourself, then you're more likely to pay a premium for other experts, right? If you think that your best clients respect your process, then you're more likely to respect other people's process. That's basically it. You get what you put out because it's okay. If whatever you're okay with, whatever you're tolerating in your reality is what you believe is okay for them to tolerate in theirs, right? The prover proves what the thinker thinks, right? Now let's take this full circle. A lot of the stuff that we just talked about could be interpreted as the golden rule or karma or the law of attraction or you name it, right? Information theory, naive realism, these are things that you can look up in psychological journals and on PubMed, but ultimately we arrive at the same place. And whether you believe it because of the science or because of a guru, you're looking for the same things in your reality at the end of the day. So it doesn't matter. And that full circle is why I think I see a convergence of this in the most successful people that we're able to meet with on a day-to-day basis. So ultimately, that's kind of the key takeaway of this podcast. If there's one thing that you can take from this, it all comes down to your perception of responsibility. If there's one belief that's going to get you to all the other beliefs, it's the belief that you are in control of what you see, right? So next time you have a situation that doesn't go your way, ask yourself, how am I complicit in creating this? And honestly, this is just kind of the one keystone. If you let it, this is going to take you far. So I know this was kind of an interesting one, but that is all for today. I'll be here with you guys next week on another episode of the Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.